0: for listening to our podcast recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford you can find out more about us on our website gatewaychurchashford.co.uk brilliant so if you've got your bibles and you'd like to turn to uh, Esther and Nehemiah Esther and Nehemiah okay the series is time to build and in it, we'll be looking at the books of Esther and Nehemiah. Now, you might want to look a little bit further than that because uh, there's quite a bit of ground covered in Scripture in this part of the story. So the the books and the people involved cover Esther and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, but also there's reference back to Jeremiah, there's reference to Esther... There's reference to Haggai and Zechariah and and Malachi so it draws in quite a a lot of scripture and the genre here is is quite fascinating as well And and I guess if I was to ask this morning how many of you remember a verse from Ezra and Nehemiah it's quite likely that you probably don't remember one because there's no kind of memorable things like there are in some other parts of scripture and yet It's a memorable story. So you have historical narrative, you have lists of people, you have lists of supplies, transcripts of official documents, genealogy, royal and official letters, memoirs and prayers. And the story contains faith, conflict, discouragement, excitement, sadness, advance, attack, commitment, complacency, suspense and heroism. So that's a good reason to read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, so let's just go there straight from the beginning and just read part of the first chapter. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy that he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute towards the expenses by giving them silver and gold and supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem." And then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold and supplies for the journey and livestock. And they gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings." And King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and are placed in the temple of his own gods. And Cyrus directed Mithedra, Drath, the treasurer of Persia, to count these items and present them to Sheshbazzar, the leader of the exiles, returning to, to Judah. And then you have a list of the items that were returned. And in verse 11, in all there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver Shaspazah brought all of these along when the exiles went from Babylon to Jerusalem. This is an amazing story. And uh, in this series, which we're calling Time to Build, we're looking at how God's purposes unfold on a greater scale. We're looking at how he goes about his business, how the sovereign Lord uses people, how he uses communities to accomplish his work in the earth. And there are three important things that stand out as we look at these books. Three important things that stand out for us as the people of God. Number one, we have a history. Number two, we have a present. And number three, we have a destiny. And you can find these themes running through Ezra and Nehemiah. They had a history. They had a present. Uh, They had a destiny. Now, they weren't always sure about the history the present, or the destiny. But one thing was for sure, God knows and God is about his purposes. Plus the fact that God is sovereign and he is faithful. So these particular books look at the fact that God is sovereign over all nations. God is sovereign over every authority. God is sovereign in the earth. And he is also a faithful covenant-keeping God. He keeps his covenant faithfully and he had a covenant with them and if there's something that people need to know today it's just that who are we who who am i who am i Where have we come from? Do I have a history? Do I have any roots? And it's interesting to note, you've only got to look on the media, people are into roots these days. What are your roots? Where does your family come from? What is the history? And so we have various celebrities on television where they're they're picking on different ones and they're, they're looking at their history. And sometimes their history is surprising them, sometimes it's shocking them. But we want to know what our history is. We want to know that we have roots somewhere, that we're not just some person who's here pointlessly and aimlessly going through life. Who are we? Where have we come from? Where are we going? Where are we going? Where are you and I going? What is the whole purpose of life? Am I here just simply to breathe the air that is given to me, to eat bread, to drink water... To to go to work and to just keep a a roof over me and to keep those uh, around me provided for and protected and help them on the next stage of the journey. Is that all that there is to life? Or is life more than just being sustained? It's a big question for young people. Who are we? So many of the younger generation, they have everything. They've had all the toys, they've got everything now. They've got the computers, they've got the gadgets, they've got everything. And yet for so many, they've got nothing. The big question is, who am I? What am I here for and where am I going? I think of someone who who took on a fatalistic attitude and says, well, actually, I I wish I'd never been born. Wish I'd never been born. Because I don't understand life. I don't understand why I'm here. You can't have a meaningful history and a destiny unless there is a God who is reigning over all. Vitally important. And so it's not surprising in this increasingly godless and secular world that people are finding themselves lost, wondering who they are, what they're doing here, and where they might be going. You can't have a meaningful history and destiny unless there is a God who is reigning over all. One who is bigger than us. One who who not only created, but who is engaged with what he has created. And especially with those that he has created in his image. A God who is actively involved. Not a God who is out there somewhere, distant, but a God who is present to us and involved in that which he has created. And that is what we have as the people of God. Amen? That, that, is, that is a glorious truth. They are glorious truths. That is what we have as the people of God. So, let's remind ourselves of the big story. I've been thrilled this Christmas time because I, I walked into the works. Anybody ever go in the works? I love the works because you have cheap books in there. And uh, occasionally, it's, you get some surprises. I've bought some amazing surprises in the works. I encourage you, if you're a book reader, go in there and look at their shelves from time to time. You can pick up some, some interesting books. And at Christmas, uh, just prior to Christmas, I walked in there, and uh, as Pam knows, Pam scans other shelves to what I do. It's not that she doesn't read, but my, my thing is the bookshelves. So I go to the bookshelves, and I, I look and see what there's there. And... Uh, One of the books I noticed immediately was Miracles by Eric Metaxas. Now, that's a name you need to get familiar with because he's a great writer and uh, he's a great thinker. He communicates in a similar vein to C.S. Lewis, uh, but in a more modern way. And he's written this book on miracles. And it's just absolutely staggering. If you want to be thrilled by what God has done, uh, get hold of that book and read it. And uh, they had it for four pounds in in the works, a, a book that normally sells for 16. Um, and I wonder whether it was actually because they got a little error on the back cover um, relate, which related to another book, so I don't know. Um, but a very good book. So let's remind ourselves of the big story. God is. The Bible doesn't start with an explanation of God. It says, in the beginning, God. And anyone who comes to God must believe that he is, first and foremost, and that he is secondarily a rewarder of those who will seek him. God says, seek me, and I will be found of you. You will find me. And so we we have this story in which God is. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a God who has been in community uh, right way, way, way back. He didn't start being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when the Bible was written. He always was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Entirely existent and consistent within himself. A holy, happy trinity of being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he, out of his great love, created this vast universe. And read Eric Metaxa's uh, book, and it will thrill you as you read the detail but to all intents and purposes we shouldn't be here it's a miracle that you are living it's a miracle that you look like you do it's a miracle that you can do what you can do it's a miracle that we can look at all sorts of strands of science it's a miracle that we can uh, travel in this universe we can go and explore the moon we can send uh, spacecraft out to the far edges of of this universe It's an absolute miracle, and you can't help but be thrilled at it. And so God created, out of his great love, he created, and he made humanity. So he makes a place that is particular for human life, to sustain it, and he makes humanity in his own image. And they were to image him in the earth. But humanity fell. It chose to go its own way. That God had a plan. And that plan was to bring Jesus, for Jesus to come. And we have recently celebrated that, the coming of God in Jesus Christ. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I never cease to be amazed at the Christmas story, and I hope you don't either. Because it is the most staggering love story. It is the most staggering miracle that has ever happened. It exceeds anything else that has ever taken place upon the face of this earth. That God should come and take on human flesh and live here. And walk among us. And for people to interact with him. And God had a plan. And, he pl- and that plan involved raising up a man called Abraham. And out of Abraham a family. And out of that family a nation. But as we know, when we look at the story, it's so much like our story. There's good parts to it and there's bad parts to it. They mess up as well. But God has a purpose and God is sovereign and his purposes will be fulfilled in the earth. And so as we move through that story, you notice that um, it unfolds in very different ways, in many different ways. So in this part of the story here, they have messed up. God has had to judge them. He has had to discipline his people. And they have gone into exile. Northern Israel had gone many years before them, And now the people in in the southern part of, of Israel have been taken captive. They've been taken hundreds of miles away to Babylon. They've gone into exile. Something that we need to know that happened to other nations. And sometimes things happen to us like they happen out there in the world. But God is sovereign over our lives, and God is working his purposes out, though we may not fully understand them. And so for Israel, it was the judgment, it was the discipline of God, and it also provided rest for the land. If you've got your Bible in your hand, and you just turn back a page into 2 Chronicles, we read these words. In verse 11... Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and he refused to humble himself when the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord. He also, sorry, last chapter 36, 36 verse 13, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar even though he had taken an oath of loyalty in God's name. And Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, refusing to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. And likewise, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people. Remember that God loves his people. He is covenantally committed to them and he has compassion on them. But the people mocked the messengers of God and they despised their words and they scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be constrained and nothing could be done. And so the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing them out of the, into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women, the old and the infirm. God had handed them all over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, the large and the small, used in the temple of God, the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. And then his army, horror of horrors, then his army burned the temple of God and tore down the walls of Jerusalem. That temple represented the presence of God to them. It represented the power of God in their midst, and suddenly it was torn down. It had been burned. And the walls of Jerusalem were torn down, burned. All they burned all the palaces and completely destroyed everything of value. And the few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. It's always good to notice things like that because you're about to see God's sovereign hand revealed. And so the message of the Lord spoke through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The Lord finally enjo- the land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the seventy years were fulfilled, just as the prophet said. So here we are. God has spoken, and you notice the same verses there of we we read earlier in Ezra chapter one that complete the, the end of Chronicles in the first year of King Cyrus. The Lord fulfills the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. And he stirred the heart of Cyrus to put out this proclamation. But a big question arises. A big question arises. They have been gone from the land for 70 years. They know that the temple was destroyed, that Jerusalem was reduced to rubble. So the big question arises in going back. Who were they? Who were they? Yes, in many ways, their identity had been preserved, but in others, it seemed lost. After all, what were they going back to? In many ways, they had nothing to go back to. Their possessions had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been reduced to rubble, and the focal point of their identity had been destroyed. So, there's a question that comes right at the beginning of of this particular book, Ezra, Nehemiah. Who were they? Yes, they had some understanding of identity, but that which had marked out their identity had been taken from them and had been destroyed. And then we have the prophetic word. They have the prophetic word. They had the written word and they had God's prophetic word also inscribed. God is still on their case. And one of the things that happens is the reestablishing of who they are both Ezra and Nehemiah set out to show that they are indeed still none other than the Israel of Moses and David. That's absolutely important. As they go back into the land, as they have been cut off from their inheritance, as the land has been plundered and the temple has been destroyed, it's important that they know that they are still the same people of God, the same Israel of Moses and David. And from the last verse, it's made clear that what's happening is the fulfillment of this prophetic word. God is on their case, and his purposes will be fulfilled. It was a vision of a a greater eschatological, is the word that theologians use, and that's the big picture of God's purposes that look towards the end times, the grand scheme of things. It was the vision of a greater eschatological restoration that drove Ezra And Nehemiah. Both of them were disciplined in the Word. Both of them knew God. Both of them understood the purposes of God. And they were driven by that vision. And it's interesting that when you look down through church history, God has raised up men and women who have been captivated afresh by the vision of God, captivated afresh by the Word of God, by the purposes of God, and have uh, have moved things on again to the glory of his name. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this, it says, without prophetic revelation, the people perish. In every generation, we need to see men and women who know God, who see what, and hear what he is saying, who are able to discern the purposes of God afresh for their generation. Without prophetic revelation, the people perish. Don't we also from time to time, have identity crises. Don't we? That's one of the reasons why freedom in Christ is so good. Because it reminds you of who you are in Christ. It reminds you of the lies that we can take on board and believe about ourselves. And become the dominant feature of our lives. We have to come back time and again to the written word. What has God said here in his word? There have been times in my own life when I've doubted. I've been in in darkness and the only way I could get out of that was go back to the book. Go back and read what God says about me. To read his prophetic word concerning me. to listen again to the prophetic words that God has spoken over my life and to bring them into my present that I might somehow enter into their future. And we all have to do that because there is a battle on And One of the things that we find in in reading these, these two books is it wasn't easy. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not easy. It's great, but it's not easy. How many of you know that? Oh yes, if you don't know it, then wake up now. This is no time for sleeping, there is a battle on, and they found that when they went back into the land, they discovered there was a battle on. It wasn't going to be easy, every move forward in God was going to be contested. Every re-establishing of the ground was going to be contested. The rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the walls, the rebuilding of the houses, everything would be contested. And let me say this, that if you're a Christian, the devil will contest every step you want to make in Jesus. Because he knows the power of a life that is centered in Christ. He knows the power of such a life. And he knows that such a life, unleashed on the world, has tremendous potential. Whether it be on the mission field, whether it be in serving in the church, whether it be in business, whether it be as a mum or whatever. And so they, they had an identity crisis. And As we travel through this particular book, you will find that uh, both Ezra and Nehemiah will be helping them to understand who they are. Well, we were doing certain things that will help establish them again in their identity, in their prophetic purpose. But with that knowledge comes the challenge to be the people of faith in their day and hour. Yes, they were connected to Israel of old. But what does it mean to be the people of God today? A question every generation must ask. They certainly couldn't rebuild the old although they were going to rebuild the temple. And the big problem with that was it wasn't going to look like the old one. What were they to do with that? What were they to do with it? And these are challenges that we face as we go through our Christian lives, as we go through church life. We need a past. We need to know our history personal history in God. We need to know our history as, as churches. We need to know our history as movements. We need to know the greater history of the church. I thank God for every man and woman who has gone before me. I thank God for the theologians whose feet I can sit at, who wrote stuff many, many years ago, that I can read today, I can feed on, and that can help and equip me, both in life and in ministry. With that knowledge comes the challenge to be the people of faith. So it's great to know our history. It's great to know who we are today in Christ. But what does that mean for you as a person? What does that mean for us as a church? it certainly doesn't mean that we we do Christianity on Sundays and we just go away and forget about it the rest of the week. It means that we are to be seven-day-a-week Christians it means that the kingdom must influence us and we must be influencers of the culture around us as we live in the kingdom of God and we live it out. Yes, they were connected to Israel of old, but they were called to be the people of God of their generation. They would ask those questions. They would go back to the word. They would ask of it, what, what is it saying for us today? And it's a question every generation must ask. When you look at these two books and you look at the other books associated with them, you discover another powerful truth that life is a journey, not an event. How many of us just love events? How many of us love instant? We live in a world of instant where that which took me time to make years ago takes a moment now. And there's many ways in which we think, good, I'm a Christian now. Okay, let's have it all. Bring it on. Let's do it. And then we discover it's not simply an event, it's a journey. And it's a journey that has its twists and turns. That's why the Old Testament is so valuable because time and again we can go back to that book and we we can find ourselves there. We can find them with the unbelieving. We can find them under discipline. We can find them in situations where where they're struggling. Where is God? Life is a journey, not an event. It wasn't going to be instantaneous for them. And there must have been some sense of thrill as well as trepidation as they began to uh, gather things together and began to leave Babylon and head back towards Israel. Put yourself in their shoes. I mean, they, in many ways, their existence there had not been too bad. It had been fairly comfortable and you've only got to go to Jeremiah and 29 and, and, and God has said to them, yes, I am sending you there, but I am still with you. That's one thing about the discipline of God, of the God, of God isn't it? He is still with us. Hebrews 12 talks about the father's discipline. He does discipline his children and we, that's something we don't like talking a lot about today but it's very useful to recognize in our own lives when God is disciplining us. When there are certain circumstances that God is allowing in order to grow his kids. So you just imagine them. They have grown relatively comfortable in in Babylon. Because God was going to bless them there in such a way that they were to be a blessing to the place they'd gone to. I always find that staggering. That God says, when you go there, if you like, in modern language, be a kingdom, culture, changer. Be an influence. Yes, you may be under my discipline, but I am still with you. I am still your God. I am present to you. And I still want to work in and through you to influence the culture around about you wow and so in many ways there must have been excitement and trepidation they were leaving things behind which they kind of got used to they were going somewhere which the news reports coming back weren't good didn't hold out a lot of promise what on earth am i going back to And so when you look at the story here, you discover through Ezra and Nehemiah, there are three particular phases. The first and the main party returns with Zerubbabel uh, about 538 BC. About 50,000 of them return. So you have this first party returning. And they set about building an altar and start to rebuild the temple. And then you get a gap And the second party returns with Ezra a number of years later. And they make spiritual and religious restoration and reform. And then a third wave returns with Nehemiah, and they rebuild the city walls and gates, but not many houses. Let me just throw something in here, which I can't fully answer at this moment in time. But when you read your Bibles, you will see that the names, various names crop up. So Cyrus, that's okay. Darius, that's okay. So when you read about Artaxerxes and Exerxes, I have traditionally read those as three different people. Um, so Darius, Artaxerxes, Xerxes. And um, when you read it that way, and there's a challenge putting all the dates together um, at this particular time and how they all fit together, And so you'll find in most commentaries, this covers quite a long period of time, which raises a few questions about the age of some people and how they could have done what they did. But uh, there are others who have studied this, men of God, people who love the word, who are, if you like, conservative in their theology, and they say, well, actually, no, there's something else going on here because. Darius is none other than Artaxerxes and Exerxes as well. Oh, that brings me to a really beautiful thing that you can throw in here. Because if that's the case, Darius is the husband of Esther. Oh, yes. Oh, because the story of Esther is around this particular time as well. So things like Artaxerxes were, were names, particular names, given to describe a king. So Artaxerxes was like the king of kings. And then the other names are descriptions of the king and how he rules in particular ways. Now, I haven't got time to go into that. I was talking to someone for the meeting about it. I would love to because it provides a dynamic to the story that is fascinating. So, you look at what God, is, what God is doing, and whether that's the case or not, it's still interesting what God is doing in the book of Esther, which goes along with it. And do you remember the story? So, there you have the king, and there you have a, a man who, who wants to annihilate God's people. And you know how his story is uncovered, and ultimately he's hung for his, his, his proposed deeds, and, um, and you know how Queen Esther was the one who went before the king and pleaded. And how she had favour. And you see in that part of the story how God is working to, to bless and to lift up his people in a particular way. And to give them, if you like, honour and blessing. And so that's, that's just another throw in there. That's, that's, that's one you can have for free. And you can uh, take away and go and have a look at that one in your own time. So here we are. We have, when you, when you look at this story, so I've deliberately not added other dates to that apart from the date they arrive because people disagree on the time length that this took place in Ezra and Nehemiah. So first party returns with Zerubbabel about 538 BC. They rebuild an altar and start to rebuild the temple. Second party returns with Ezra A number of years later, they make a spiritual religious restoration and reform. And then a third wave returns with Nehemiah, and they rebuild the city walls and gates, but not many houses. So, why did it take so long? We've already began to hint at that. On the human side, we can say there's a measure of unbelief, there's opposition, there's attack, uh, there's weariness. There's indifference, there's compromise, and we're going to be touching on some of these things as we, we go through this series. But God knows our frailty, God knows our weaknesses, and He's, he's, working, with, he's working with people who can be hot one minute and cold the next. He's, he's working with people who can get it one minute and then kind of be confused the next. He's working with people who are under attack, there is an enemy. As Peter says, the, the, Satan goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If he can pick you out and pick you off, he's accomplished something. And so there is a war on and we need to be aware of that. And that will be addressed in this series. The, the subject of spiritual warfare. We don't talk about it perhaps as frequently as we used to. Perhaps when I was a young Christian, it was, it was a big thing. We, 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 we heard and taught about it. We we did it. We went out there and did stuff in very particular ways. Uh, we went on the advance. And uh, we wouldn't tolerate certain things happening. And we, we, you know, we'd we march around things. We'd pray, th- around, pray over things and all sorts of things. And uh, But it seems today we, we've got more settled. And, and spiritual warfare has perhaps taken a, a little bit of dust on the shelf somewhere. And we need to... Bring it off the shelves and, and recover that. Recover that. Understand what God is about. Understand how the enemy counteracts the purposes of God. The evil schemes of darkness. How he will seek to creep in in different ways, one way or another. So, whichever way you look at this particular story, it looked impossible. The situation that they were in, the situation there... How were they going to finance it? But God was with them. Hallelujah. And you know, this is where history is important. This is where your history is important. Where our history as church is important. They had been this way before. This was a new exodus. Okay? Their history told them they have been this way before. And so they could trust God. When they left Egypt and headed to Canaan, they weren't sure where they were going. And they sent spies in to look at the land after they got a few days in. And you know the story, how the spies went in, 12 of them, and 10 of them come back with a bad report. Whoa! The giants in there, I mean, they're so awesome! I mean, what chance do we little worms have in the face of such giants? And there were two who came back with a good report. They said, yeah, yeah, we've seen the problems. We've seen the giants in the land, but you know what? We've seen God. And God is bigger than them. And we can do it. We can do it, brothers and sisters. But the congregation chose to listen to the ten. And the result was wandering around in a wilderness for 40 long years. Wow. And then God brought them into the land. So this was a new exodus. And they knew that God was true to his word as he had called them out of Egypt and promised them Canaan. And as he had done so and he had gotten them there. They knew that Their God was able, and he could do it. And so thank God for past testimony. Do you ever reflect on your past in a positive way? In other words, do you ever go back and rehearse those stories that God has given you? There'll be opportunity in the community groups. One of the questions we've got in there is to just rehearse some of those stories because those stories encourage us Don't they? When I hear somebody's story, how I was in this situation, but God was with me. I may not have felt like it, but God was with me. And I prayed and God heard me and God spoke to me. God spoke to me through his word, etc. I love those stories. It's good to rehearse the past. We do that as a church as well. Remind ourselves of the story. This far, God has led us. Hallelujah. So I have every reason to believe that he will lead us as we continue to move on. As we continue to approach ever nearer the line of, of the old wyvern school being in our possession. And all that that entails, God is with us. Because we have proven God in the past. We know that we can trust him as we move into the future. So as we come to a close this morning, I want to encourage you to go back and to to read again the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. To just see what's going on there. Read the book of Esther. Read the book of Haggai as well. Listen to what God is doing And so, as they went back into the land, they struggled with their identity. Are you struggling with yours this morning? Has the enemy been coming at you? Seeking to annihilate you. Putting you down. You know the thoughts and how they come. Those whisperings in your ear. Are you in a situation at this moment in time where you can't, if you like, see God or feel God? In a situation where perhaps even the Israelites of old could have come to that point, well, is is my God real? After all, I'm now in captivity and we, the people of God, are subservient to our captors and their God. So is their God over our God? Yeah. The enemy comes in with all these very subtle arguments. You've been praying a long time about a particular thing, a provision, a need. And the enemy comes in and says, huh? not real. What's the point? What's the point of of praying anymore? Why don't you just give up? Who do you think you are to pray anyway? I saw how you messed up this week. Do you think God's going to listen to you? Attacks on identity, attacks on God's purpose. Lovely to hear those testimonies early on, wasn't it? Thrilling. We need them. We need them. We need to keep hearing one another's stories because they encourage. They speak to somebody else and say, yeah, God was there. Reconciliation took place. Hallelujah. Provision was released. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we head into this new series we've called it Time to Build that's, just not, that's not simply about a physical building although that will come into it if the wyvern comes off we have every reason to believe it will but it's about building us as a people of God it's about you as an individual it's about us as a corporate community how God wants to build us to fulfill yet greater purposes in Ashford. And dare we say it, in the nations. In the nations. There's prophetic words relating to that. So why don't we just stand? of God Mm. if you're struggling with identity this morning and you're in Jesus know that God calls you by name, that you are his son, that you are his daughter, because of God's gracious hand on you. Know that God calls you also a saint, a saint. He gives you wonderful privileges. Privileges to access him day and night. Privileges to to ask all sorts of things of him. You're here this morning and, and maybe you're in that situation where I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going. And you just need to know that God is present to you, wherever you are. Could be in a job situation. God is your Emmanuel. God with you. You don't know how it's going to work out, know that God is with you and he's promised never to fail His promises are great. For some of you, there there are prophetic words that have been released over your lives and you've let them gather dust. And God wants to God would challenge you to take them off the shelf of your mind and bring them into the center of your heart. Pray into them. God, what does this mean for me now in this time? You see, when God speaks, we have a a responsibility to hold on to that word. It was a responsibility to pray through that word. Words released in the past that need to be brought right into the present. God's prophetic purpose. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, God is still your history because he is the one who has given you life. But he wants to be connected with your story dynamically and he wants you connected with his story dynamically and that's why Jesus came. He came so you could be forgiven, so you could be reconnected with the Father, so that you could know you've got a great history, so that you could know you've got a great present and so that you could know you have a great future. God has a purpose for you now. So Holy Spirit, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for these books. Amazing story. How they speak to us in the present. And just now we say, Holy Spirit, help us as we seek to hear what you're saying to us both individually and corporately. That we might be the people of God in our generation. That we might know that you reign and that you are a covenant-keeping God. You are a faithful God. So, Holy Spirit, as we move further into this series, help us as we tread this journey. Help us. Help us, we pray, that we might just get that sense of that vision that you want to lay in front of us. Vision uh, for our lives, vision for our marriages, vision for our families, vision for our work, vision for, regarding church, regarding ministries. Oh Lord, we, we want to be a people who know prophetic revelation. We don't want to be perishing. Time is short, so help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.